Well, thanks so much, Lester. It's so great that you guys are online with us today. Greeting from my side to everyone on the chat. I know that it would be cool if you were in the room here and all I've got here are some camera dudes and some technical team. And so why not encourage me there in the chat? I'll come through and read that stuff. But I'm so glad that you've hopped online with us for our new series that we're starting now in Micah called Reflecting Hope. And it's going to be an important message for us in our prophetic leaning of our church uh, this year. Now, one of the things that we'll see, oh, I'm think, are we not doing the video? Okay, well, one of the things that we could see, if we look at the context of Micah in chapters 1 to 3, is that things were not as they ought to have been. Matthew's stopping me speaking there. Lars, should I carry on? Okay, wait, we, I, 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 are we showing the video right now? Laura says, I don't know. Am I supposed to be carrying on here? Okay, I'm gonna, okay, cool, I'm gonna carry on. Dunks gave me the signal. <laughs> I was being fooled there. But Micah chapters one, two, three, we had a video, but I think I messed it up there. It's all about the context that things were not great in the land of Israel, that things on earth and the things that, the ideals of heaven were very far apart. And that disconnect, that things on earth are not as they should be, is very close to my personal story. And so I wanted to take you down memory lane, um, because many of you only know me as Pastor James Prim and Proper. So I wanted to throw up a picture of me with my long hair days. And if you look at this picture, many of you in the church will actually remember me with that long hair, because I was in Tans like in the buzz center with that long hair. And if you're in the chat and like, it's time to go back to that long hair, you just type long hair in the chat and we'll go right back, even if Laura doesn't dig that. Um, but basically, I'm still that same guy, wild at heart. I'm still that guy that's, that's wild. And wild hearts often come from longing hearts. And long before I was a Christian, I was that guy who was staring out of the window longing for a better world, uh, looking for meaning in the life of song lyrics. And so if you go back a little bit before that, here's a picture of me back before then, and you can take a look on the screen and see. Um, now, as you look at that picture, you might ask, was I sober in that picture? And the answer is definitely no. Um, in those days, there was always too much blood in my alcohol stream for my own liking. But it's still a good picture to kind of depict the kind of guy that I was, always staring out the window with those John Lennon round frames, wishing that the world was a better place. Because maybe like you, I have one eye looking at nature where everything is as it should be, everything's perfect. But another eye on realism, where everything to do with people is such a mess. And longing, as I look out the window, that the disconnect between heaven and earth weren't so far apart. As I said before, I was very captivated by song lyrics. And one of the songs that captivated my heart from the previous generation was the song Imagine by John Lennon. Some of you will know it. It says, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us and above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Now that's a powerful dream and it struck a chord in the hearts of millions, including myself, because it describes a bridging of the disconnect, a world with no greed, a world with no killing, a world with no hunger. It's a big dream, 
But John Lennon believed that for this dream to be achieved, there had to be no hope of heaven and no fear of hell. That there had to be no God in the picture. That it's based on the assumption that people are actually good. And if you could tap into that goodness and let it loose somehow, that things would be better in the world. Well, the Bible also has, wants to bridge the disconnect. God also longs to bridge the disconnect, like John Lennon, like James Now. But he doesn't believe that people are inherently good inside or that on our own we can actually bridge this disconnect. And so we see a very different story in the Bible because in Micah chapters one to three, we see that things are not as they should be and actually people are worse than we ever dare to admit. But yet God has this dream for things on earth to be as they are in heaven. And we're gonna see the picture that Micah 4 paints that's similar in some ways to John Lennon's imagine and very dissimilar in other ways. So you can hop on with me to Micah chapter 4 as I read verses 1 to 4. It says that it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. I hope you're hearing the utopia in this. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That nation on that day shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit each man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. It's a very powerful scripture. Sounds in some ways similar to what John Lennon said. Firstly, we see worldwide that God is going to bring worldwide peace. Because in verse 3 we read that they beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Micah's describing total disarmament, you know, something that's never happened in human history. Imagine every gun, every missile, every weapon of war being blown up, not being used again. Imagine the 305 million people that are enlisted worldwide to the army were decommissioned and they had to find peaceful jobs. Can you imagine that? Another thing described here is total security. It says in verse four, each man shall sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. I wonder if you can imagine that because in Micah's day, that's hard to imagine because the rich were exploiting the poor and making them afraid. But God says there will come a day where as hard as it is to imagine, nobody shall make somebody afraid. Can you imagine if children of any age could walk through any street of Joburg any time of night and no one would make them afraid? Can you imagine airports with no metal detectors? Can you imagine women walking safely in our streets? No security companies or police. Well, this is what God is describing. In fact, not even the devil will make people afraid because he fits under the bracket of no one will make them afraid. Now, obviously this sounds wonderful, what God is describing in the Bible, but we've got to ask, is Micah also a dreamer? Is he gonna write at the end of this prophecy, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. It's not just pipe dreams for him because he says in verse four, the basis of this, for the mouth of the Lord our God has spoken. 
Micah wants you to know he's not dreaming now. This is not anything but a prophetic promise for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The same mouth that spoke, let there be light and everything was made, has made this promise. It's a sure thing. But it leaves me with two questions. And these are our two headings for today. Firstly, how will this happen? And secondly, when will this happen? How's this going to happen and when's this going to happen? So first heading, how's this going to happen? How are we going to have peace and security? Well, three simple statements that are going to take us from vague promises to sure hope. Um, and the first one of the three being that God will mediate. It's God will mediate. It says in verse 3 that God himself will judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. In this passage, God is literally down here on earth in some future date, mediating between factions of disagreement. We see that in our time, there's deep wounds and there's no reconciliation. We, we, we have banners that say no justice, no peace. But one day there will be justice and there will be peace. Why? Because God himself will come down and mediate even between nations. Don't we need that with the Ukraine, with Russia? Don't we need that God would come down and that his reputation will be so immense in the nations that he will settle disputes and tensions to avoid conflict. There will be perfect shalom, peace. Can you imagine that? And if you can't imagine that, there's a problem. Because the, the fact is that we live in a violent world and we need to be able to live on the hope that one day God will establish peace. Because if we can't, we're going to find it hard to face the violence in our world. And God never called us to put our heads in the sand, not read the news, not watch documentaries. In fact, I hear a lot of the time in the church, people say, I can't do that. I just listen to worship music in the car because it's too depressing for me. If you're in that camp, can I suggest to you that you need to be armored with hope that one day God will establish peace because we need to be a people that can read our Bible and read the news in the same token on the same day and not be discouraged. But we need to be armored with hope of what God will establish in peace one day. So that's what God's going to do firstly. The second thing he's going to do is God's going to gather. God will gather. It says in verse 6 that in that day declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away. God is going to gather specifically the lame. I hope you noted that. Those are his peeps, man. That's a reality on earth. This is people that like are injured by this world. This is people that never really had a chance. And God says, those are my people. Now, this is very close to me, the idea that God is the God of the gatherer of the lame. Because my mom can't walk. And one of my issues with believing in Christianity in the first place was that if I accepted that God existed... I had to accept he has to be powerful enough to have stopped this tragedy to my, happening to my mom. And therefore, I had to conclude if he exists, either God is sadistic, wanting people to hurt, or that loving, caring God doesn't exist at all. And that was the place that I was at. I was the philosophical one, staring out of the window. On the one hand, wishing a loving God would exist. But on the other hand, if he does exist, I don't want to know him. Because I said, he's the God with clippers in his hand to cut the wings off butterflies like my mom and I said I don't want to know a God like that because my mom once upon a time she was a singer but now her diaphragm couldn't do that she was a dancer but her legs couldn't move anymore she was someone who would act but now there was no role that she could play anymore and I thought no I don't want to know God because the only thing worse than the suffering of this world is thinking that a God is actually governing it and that was the place where I was at the picture that I threw up earlier 
Looks all fun and games until you look into the heart. And the thing is that God was so kind to me over the years that though I was so hardened against Him, He saw fit to reveal Himself to me. And He showed me over time that the suffering in this world is not because of a God with clippers that's there trying to, trying to make people suffer, but that the suffering of this world results all the way back from the fall of mankind. And that the fallout from that was worse than the fallout from like the Chernobyl nuclear explosion, which though it happened so long ago, we still see the effects in that land today. That's how it is with sin. And with the original fall, everything that we know that's not right in the world is as a result of that. But yet, God is so good that He was the one who had His wings clipped. He came down to earth, not with His glory, not with His beauty, though He was perfect radiant. He came down and rolled around in our toxic spillage, in our sin, getting pinned to the cross like a butterfly in a school project. For people like me to fly, for people that were absolutely incapable, caterpillars becoming butterflies because of Jesus. That's the kind of kindness that we see with God. And the hope for the injured in this world is not that one day God's gonna shoot them up to heaven and they will forget all that they suffered, but rather that one day heaven will come down to earth and that they will have resurrected bodies and they will again swim in the sea, they will again climb the mountains, they will again dance in the forests because heaven will come down to earth and God is the God of the gatherer of the lame. And I came to the conclusion later in life that if that resurrecting, redeeming God does not exist, then there's no hope for the world. There's no meaning in suffering whatsoever. But if that resurrecting, redeeming God exists, then He is the only hope for the world. And since He does exist, He's my hope. And He's our hope because He's the God who's the gatherer of the lame. That's the second thing God's gonna do. But the third thing God's gonna do is God will rule. God will rule. It says here in our passage that people shall flow to the mountain of the Lord. Many nations shall come and they'll say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. We read there that all nations will come to get direction from God without any sense of obligation. They'll willingly do it because in verse one, it says that people shall flow to it. And that word in Hebrew, nahar, is literally flow, like a river. So the picture here is of a people sweeping upwards to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords, a current of Messiah worshipers. They wanna be fed pure spiritual milk in that day by God Himself. We see a picture that people are drawn by His supernatural magnetism in that day. Can you imagine worldwide people drawing to Jesus to say, you rule my life, that they want to be taught His ways? And that word teach, Torah comes from the same cluster of words, same root word as to shoot an arrow. Because on that day, God's teaching is gonna be like archery, man. Like the same way that, a, that an arrow hits a bullseye, God's teaching is gonna hit and transform our hearts on that day. It's something beautiful because people are coming to Him to say, God, I want you to rule over my life. Because God never wanted us to accept Jesus into our lives. It's more the fact that he wanted us to surrender our life for God to rule. And people on that day will say, Lord, we've made a mess of our lives. We want you to rule. We want you to rule over our lives. We wanna walk in your paths. So God will rule. But a question for reflection for you is, how vividly can you picture this? 
because you're going to need it to be armored against discouragement when cartels seem to be in charge, when organizations seem to be rotten, when governments seem to be corrupt. We need to be armored with hope that one day Jesus will come down and he will rule. It will be on earth as it is in heaven. Well, those things are all very wonderful, but you might ask the question, well, when? When is this going to transpire? And that leads me to another three points here. Because biblical prophecy, as the guys from Institute will tell you, is not so straightforward that it's one prophecy, one fulfillment. In fact, there are multiple fulfillments of prophecy in Scripture. It's a bit like when you're driving down to the Drakis, like when you hit a certain angle, the Drakensberg, you can only, hit, you can only see certain of the mountain range. And a b- biblical prophecy is a bit like that. There's a, there's a mountain peak of prophetic fulfillment, but behind that mountain is another mountain peak, and behind that peak is another peak. And actually what we see in the Bible is that there's often a fulfillment in the time of the hearers of this word. There's often a fulfillment in the coming of Jesus in the future. And sometimes there's even a fulfillment for us today. And this passage is a lot like that. So we're going to look at the three levels, past, future, and present fulfillment of this prophecy. Firstly, how is this Micah 4 actually done in the past? How is it fulfilled in the past? Well, what happened in history was that the people of Israel were exiled to Babylon. But at some point, God redeemed them from that land. He gathered the lame, he gathered the remnant, he ruled over them, and they wanted to be taught his ways. They rebuilt the temple, and actually from many nations, people came and they said, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the God of the house of Jacob. And so there was a fulfillment in the past. But I'm skipping through the first two much more quickly, because the third one is the one I really want to preach about. The future fulfillment, which I've actually been preaching as if it's future this whole time, is in Revelation 21, we read that God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. We read that God himself will rule and reign amongst his people, being present, and there will be perfect peace, perfect security forevermore. But the more intriguing one is how is this actually done in our present day? And this is where I'm going to park for the rest of the sermon. Because it says in verse 1, which is the when statement of the passage, it shall come to pass when? In the latter days. God says this is when this is going to be fulfilled. So biblically, when are the latter days? Because that's the clue, right? While we read instances like Joel prophesying, it'll come to pass in the latter days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. But then that happens in Acts. And Peter picks up and he says, hey, that prophecies come to pass. The latter days is now, this era of the church, this thing we're living in, 2021's latter days. It's between when Jesus ascended and he's coming again. So it's perplexing, but we need to look at Micah 4 and ask when and where are these things being fulfilled in 2021? So where should we look, therefore, to find God's presence on earth? Where, therefore, should we look to find people who love God's word that want to be under his rule? Where should we look to find the injured welcomed? Where should we look to find a redeemed community living for Jesus? That is us. That is the church. We are the present day fulfillment of Micah chapter 4. We are the people bridging the disconnect between heaven and earth in our day. This is so important for us to get a grip on, especially this year, because our culture is so fixated on the idea that we must die and go to heaven when the rub of Scripture is more about the fact that heaven has to come down to earth. And the fact is that God doesn't want us to just come and escape earth because it's so bad. In fact, God loves the world and wants to change the world for the better through us. 
Jesus' resurrection was the beginning of the new thing that he did. Not so that people can be shot out of the bad earth into heaven, but that he can colonize this earth with the life of heaven through his followers, whom he gave his spirit to. And his people who are filled with his spirit, it says in the Bible, are a new temple. What is a temple? It's a place where heaven and earth meet. It's the intersection of the divine and the earthly. While we, us walking, breathing people, we are his new temple right now. We're the place where heaven and earth meet. You might not think much of yourself this morning, but God wants you to know on the basis of his word that you are the conductor of heaven and earth, the conducting point, the intersection. This is a big theme. In the beginning of the Bible, we read, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. We see in Genesis 3 that we split the divide really big between the two. But then we read that Jesus came down from heaven to earth. And that through his resurrection, he has allowed us to do his will. To make things on earth exactly as they are in heaven. That's our mandate. I wonder if you've thought of yourself in that way. That you are established to be a vessel to make conditions on earth as they are in heaven through God's Spirit in you, because that's what the, the claim is. So no longer can we stare out the window like James now of years ago, grumbling, wondering when is God going to step in and change the world, when God is asking you the same question. When God is in fact saying, when are you going to step in? I've given you my power. The things that we long for are the things that God has mandated. We are ambassadors of heaven, bringing things to bear in earth as they are in heaven. So we see something here, a truth that I want you to take into your Bible reading, that the more that we reflect on hope, the more that we reflect hope to people. The more we reflect on hope, the more we reflect hope. So I have a new imagine for us. Imagine that the church was to bring about the unity of heaven on earth. Imagine the church was to bring about the diversity of heaven on earth. Imagine the church was to bring the sound of heaven in our speech. Imagine the church was to bring the healing of heaven in our touch. Imagine the earth was to bring the dignity of heaven in uplifting the downtrodden. Imagine the church was really going to represent the holiness of heaven, this countercultural behavior to the world. Because as we read in scripture, when we read about these end time prophecies of when God will redeem, on the one hand, we're reading how God will make things perfect one day. But on the other hand, we're reading our marching orders for Monday because God is going to redeem through his people. You, his intersection, you, his ambassador to make things on earth as they are in heaven. So five quick applications from this text. I didn't want this to be an impractical preach. I wanted it to be really practical. And I want you to, to put in the chat which of these stick out to you that you want to put in your life this week. First thing, application is on the thinking change. We need a thinking shift to say, I am a mirror of hope. If you underestimate the, God's power in you, it's the same thing as underestimating God in you, which is a problem. It underestimates God, it's insulting. But rather, you need to see yourself, wherever you walk, you're a walking mirror pointing people to Jesus. Thinking change, I am a mirror of hope. Second application we need to read the Bible and the news together. It's of no good that on the one hand, we just look at the future and are disconnected from this world. Nor on the other hand, is it helpful that we are bogged down by this world and depressed by it. 
But we need to be a people in the world, not of the world. We need to be a people that read the news, that also read promises of God in conjunction with one another. I used to love to drive to work listening to 702. But whatever I heard on there, however depressing it was, it became my prayer points before I got out the car. Because we need to be a people involved with the world, trusting God that He's going to change it. We need to read the Bible and we need to read the news together. Those are two quick ones. Thirdly, from our text, we need to cultivate enthusiasm for God. Oh man, this is like, this is like my life. It says that the, in, in this passage that one day it will come to pass that people will willingly say, come, let's go up to God. They're enthusiastic. But here's the deal. You are his ambassador today, which means you need to bring in those conditions today. So wherever you go, you need to be spurring on your enthusiasm for God. God, this isn't God's job to make you enthusiastic for Him. We've got to pray. We've got to strengthen ourselves from the Lord. We've got to worship until our worship is white hot and our enthusiasm is there. And when it's there, we've got, to, we've got to spur on others. We've got to ask who in our life is going through the motions? Who has just disconnected from church life? Who is just apathetic? Because I'm the one that God has sent to bring enthusiasm. Fourth one is to be an establisher of peace. It says in our passage that one day God will perfectly establish peace. But hey, I'm his representative right now, which means God is calling you to be an establisher of peace. Not to be a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. Where in your work, colleagues, friends, family, are there unresolved conflicts? Where can we come with the peace? Because now God is calling us wherever we go to be establishers of making peace. And fifthly, how can we help others to stand? How can we help others to stand? In our passage, it says that God will gather the lame. But hey, I'm his representative right now. So how can we this week attend, uh, turn our attention to those that are struggling? That might be messages of emotional support, practical assistance, spiritual encouragement for people that are isolating at home, people that are mourning losses, people that are struggling with finances. We've got to ask the question, how can I bring my strength to them never forgetting this is our mandate we've got to be ambassadors of heaven we've got to be reflecting hope to people we're the ones that are going to make things through the power of Christ on earth as they are in heaven that's basically another way of saying what our text says is walking in the name of the Lord it says in verse 5 for all the peoples walk in the name of their God but as for us as for me and my household, as for us as a church, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That is our commitment. That is our focus this year as a church. That we endeavor in this present time to walk in the name of our Lord our God. Why? Because He's the only one worthy to walk for. His name is Jesus. He's heaven come down to us. He is our hope in the shadows. He's our strength in the battle. And He's our anchor for all of our days. And He stood, stands by our side and He stood in our place. His name is Jesus and there's no other name. Let's worship Him this morning.